Let us pray. God, may the words of my heart, my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Amen. This year I've walked alongside a friend who's endured the humiliation of having to have contact with her 11-year-old daughter supervised by another person twice a week. And she asked if I would do that, so I said yes. It was a privilege. Her ex-partner left the family home earlier this year with their two daughters, the older one being 16, so not covered under any parenting order of the family court. Allegations were made by him of abuse and mental instability against her, and he was listened to. They had been trying to work out what they were going to do, given he had said he wanted out of the 17-year relationship. A week ago on Friday, she had her first unsupervised contact visit with her 11-year-old daughter, nine months after her daughter was removed without warning from the family home. Those are the stark facts. I have not put any emotive language in there. For the first eight weeks of this nine-month period, she didn't see them at all. She did not know where they, they were visiting, apart from the occasional video call he allowed. We then told when the family court got involved and the lawyer for child was appointed, he told the lawyer for child, oh, the girls don't want to ring her or see her. She learnt on Thursday, when her daughter stayed with her without the older sister for the first time, that part of that may have been due to what he had told the girls about their mother. Her words were to me, he said horrible things about me to them. Her youngest daughter has a SIM card in her phone provided by the father so that she can ring him if mummy goes mental. She has put her mother's number into her phone under the heading fish. So her father does not know. So the actions and the attitude of one parent to the other is causing a child to practice deception. I am stating the facts. I am not using emotive language. She has continued to care and love her girls and she has endured and persevered and I quite frankly am in awe of her. When someone spends nine weeks between one court hearing and another trying to find a psychiatrist in New Zealand who could do even a video call with her to check her mental stability, as the court has asked, and does that for nine weeks and keeps going no matter how many times she is turned down, I question another person's view. This woman was mentally stable. What she was suffering from was anxiety at not knowing where her children were, grief at the end of a relationship. She's not of our faith, but she knows there is a church community who has been holding her, her daughters and her ex-partner in prayer. 
and she has come to realise that there are many miracles that have occurred in her life. Sometimes she's just had to hang in there. Sometimes life has been quite crappy. But she has endured. She still has much to endure and persevere with, but she has friends and she's got a cracking lawyer who's Irish with red hair. Why anyone would take an Irish woman with red hair on is beyond me. <laughs> You're on a losing side. And her 11-year-old daughter wants to be with her more and has stated so. And by the court was listened. So that on the 1st of November when there was a hearing due about my suitability to continue as a supervisor because according to the father I was uh, far too accommodating of her and I was her friend and I wasn't unbiased enough. The daughter was listened to and the judge went, well I think it goes to mediation doesn't it? And I was told I was waiting outside and the lawyer came out and said it's alright you can go home now. And I had to wait three hours before I could hear what the outcome was. So for the next few weeks, she has her daughter two nights in a row at the family home. And come December the 27th, that will be extended to week about between each parent. They can't wait, but they know they have to have endurance, perseverance and care. One woman's story. And we come to Hannah's story, one of those powerful stories we have in scripture where a woman is named. Because let's face it, there are a whole lot of men named in our scriptures and not many women by comparison. Talk about a glass ceiling. Often there needs to be something radical that happens for a woman's name to be given. Think of the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew's gospel. There are five women mentioned. There's Tamar and Rahab. Hmm, interesting. There's Ruth, and she wasn't a woman of Israel. There's the wife of Uriah called Bathsheba, and we know what she and David got up to, or rather what David did to her. And there's Mary, about who there were some questions, even though she was Jesus' mother. So I always think it's appropriate we get Hannah's story just before Advent begins, just because the focus becomes on God, Emmanuel, and the woman who said yes. And like Mary, Hannah is unafraid to proclaim God's preference for the outcast, the powerless and the poor, which she does if you read on past chapter 1 of, Sam, of 1 Samuel. Two women centuries apart proclaiming the powerful care of God for the world. But there's more to Hannah's story than a childless, faithful and faithful woman. And I want to look at the themes of endurance, perseverance and care that weave through the story. But I've got a question for you. What do those three words mean to you? Endurance, perseverance and care. I know I'm making you work on Sunday morning. It's dreadful. But I've got to so I don't see why everyone else can't either. So what do you think? What comes to mind when you hear those three words? Thanks, Judith. Anyone else? Mm -hmm. It's long term 
It's not instants, and it often is about moving from one sort of normal to another. You may begin to see where this sermon is going. Anyone else? Can't give up. In what way? Okay. Because they can sound hard. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yep. Endurance. Hannah's endurance. She's childless. She puts up with snide and petty remarks from Penina year after year, particularly when the household goes to Shiloh. Now, I actually suspect that was in part because Penina was jealous of Alpina's love for Hannah. There's a reason you don't have two wives. Penina understandably probably flout slighted. It did make me think of another threesome in Scripture. Now, I bet you never wanted to hear, expected to hear that word used in the same line as Scripture. Jacob, Leah, and Rebecca. Yeah, Rachel. Yeah, the three, the two sisters. Perseverance. Hannah, in spite of what she was coughing, persevered year after year until finally something gave. And in her desperation and despair, she goes into the sacred space and prays. So hard, so earnestly, that Eli thinks she's drunk, which made me wonder, had he never seen such prayerful devotion? And so he goes to her. To him, the servant of God, Hannah pours out her troubles. Her perseverance is a sign of her trust in God. And Finally, she brings to God all she has, her despair and her grief at being childless, and seeks a solution in a powerful prayer. And then there's an example of care. Eli cares. He offers her God's hope that her prayers have been heard and she is sad no longer. Elkanah, who loves her so much, who cares so deeply, cannot comfort her, doesn't know what to do, and is bound up with the idea his love isn't enough for her. Might be a little bit of ego going on there. And Hannah cares. She cares so much she makes God a promise. That sounds a bit strange to our ears, but wouldn't have been to anyone living in that time. She promises God her child will be offered to God in dedication and devotion. If you look Upon the misery of your servant, and remember me, giving me a boy, I will give him to your service. When I worked on Iona, one week we had a group of baby ministers and baby priests, as we called them, who came from the Church of Scotland in, in both the Catholic and Protestant versions. And the, um, they came on Monday, so they avoided Sunday communion and any kerfuffle with that, and they left on Friday morning, so they avoided the Friday night communion service and avoided any kerfuffle with that. And on the afternoon, at more, when they arrived at, at uh, afternoon tea, um, one of the women working with me as a volunteer there, Ruth, she sat down with them. She was gorgeous. She was from Wales. And she turned to this chap and said, Oh, hello, I'm Ruth and I work here. And he said, I think his name was John, Oh, hi, I'm John and I'm celibate. <laughs> really? And she went, oh, that's interesting. She said, oh, how many are in your family? She said, oh, well, I've got, there's five of us. 
I've got three sisters and another brother. He's training to be a priest too. We did think that two priests out of one family was above and beyond the call of duty. This story speaks to us about God's care for human beings. Revealed in God. Showing us the futility of trying to do things by ourselves as Hannah had tried. And what happens when you release the power and hand ourselves over to God, recognising who God is and what God means to us as human beings, which is what Hannah finally does. Endurance and perseverance, though, are not about putting up, as our friend down the back suggested, just putting up with the situation. As COVID-19 Delta version works its way through our country, it would be very easy to become despairing. I have found myself in the past few weeks feeling a mixture of disbelief, outrage, frustration and anger and being such a mother and saying, oh, for goodness sake, will you just do what you're asked? (laughs) Usually at other adults and usually in my head. I've got angry at the completely misleading falsehoods being repeated through social member. Frustrated with my own family members who won't get vaccinated. Fortunately, my 81-year-old aunt finally did have her first dose a few weeks ago. She lives in Auckland. I get frustrated at health workers who won't get vaccinated. I'm an ex-nurse, so I kind of still think of myself a wee bit as one of them. I just don't get it. And I'm beyond frustrated at the willingness of a small but vocal minority who are focusing on freedom and rights but seem to have very little understanding that with rights come responsibilities to each other. Love God, love your neighbour, love yourself. And at the willingness of some to inconvenience many, as happened yesterday in Auckland, Wellington and Christchurch. While proclaiming they're all about freedom, I have experienced unease as I, along with many of my colleagues, try to get our heads around what the traffic light system is going to mean for worship. Do we ask for vaccine certificates or not? Because then, are we still saying all are welcome? Unease at the division that is starting to occur in our country and our communities among families. One of the nurses at the rest time where I work told her mother this week, You cannot come and visit me. You are not vaccinated. I cannot put my children, my partner, or myself at risk. We are double vaccinated, but I work in aged care. I want to minimise the risk of getting this virus so I don't take it into work. And her mother called her a sheep. Endurance and perseverance, though, are also about recognising what we can control and acknowledging what we can't. In an article on Stuff website yesterday, Dr Dougal Sutherland, who's a clinical psychologist here at Victoria University, said that accepting that Delta is coming will be difficult, but it was important not to panic. That was crucial. He suggested it's about accepting what we can change and acknowledge our emotions and then to focus on what was within our control, how we behaved, and by doing that, we could protect ourselves and others. And I thought of the following prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. 
But what about care? Elkanah cares for Hannah deeply. Eli cares about the spectacle she's making of herself, but then offers her care in the form of reassurance. And God cares and hears her despair. But it's not that simple, is it? Because sometimes even though we tell ourselves God cares, even though we earnestly pray, we don't always get the answer we're looking for. And we're left with questions. But care is central to the human vocation. Care is there in the second account of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 2, where Adam and Eve are told by God to care and tend the world. Care then is a primal responsibility given to us by God. But there is something else hidden in that command to care. Part of being human and living be obediently is before God is to care. But the necessary corollary of that observation is that being cared for is also part of what it means to be human. We care for others and we let others care for us. How many of you find the first easier to do than the second? Yep. But that's important. We sometimes hear people say that those who are, for whatever reason, are unable to care for themselves are somehow lacking in value and dignity. In God's eyes, they're not. And sometimes this is used as a justification for ending people's lives. But this passage indicates something different. To be cared for is part of what it means to be human. So when we come to that time when all we can do is to be cared for by other people, we don't lose our dignity or our value, quite the opposite. And I can say that to you as a chaplain in elderly care. We discover something important about what it means to be human. As we have cared for others, now is our time for others to care for us. The parable of the Good Samaritan highlights this. And that we care for each other is a central component of our faith. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbour as yourself. Care for your neighbour as you care for yourself. Care for yourself as you would care for your neighbour. As we move into a new era, I'm not going to say a post-COVID era because we just don't know, do we? Perhaps one of the vital lessons we have learned from the last 20 months, should we choose to listen at all, is that all of us are deeply interconnected. If we don't care for one another, all of us will suffer. What's our challenge today? Who will you show care to? How will you show positive endurance and perseverance in the week ahead? How, above all else, will you as individuals and as the community of JUC model this for your wider community and others? Now, we may struggle with Hannah's story, especially if, us, if any of you here have been in the place where she was, desperately wanting a child and not being able to get pregnant. We may have prayed hard and not seen the prayer answered, but her story can still speak to us about persistently persevering and being open to something new happening. There's a song from the Iona community that I love, sung from the perspective of the woman who pours perfume over Jesus' feet. 
and the line that resonates most with me is this one. Be it perfume or care, be it anger or despair, I will give what I have to my Lord. With Liani's ministry among you ending and with the moving of the family back to South Africa, with COVID-19 Delta creeping closer, you may feel anger and despair. Hannah's story tells you and I that it's actually okay to bring these feelings before God because the one who created the heavens and the earth, who hovered over the waters of a dark void and who loved the world so much that gave us the gift of Emmanuel, God with us, hears us, loves us unconditionally and sits with us, hearing our cries, our words of despair, our grief, our hurt, and sometimes we may even sense there's a hug. Twenty months ago I stood before you and I said this. As I looked around in amazement at somewhat threadbare shelves in the supermarket and into the faces of other shoppers, I suddenly recognised that some were fearful. So I did the only thing I could, I prayed. Because as people of faith, that's what we can do for our fellow New Zealanders and recognise that Kiwis of other faiths will be praying as well. As Jacinda has said, we are all in this together. So pray for those who, like you, might be fearful. Listen to others as they voice their fears. Don't dismiss them, but remind them we are in this together, that we need to be gentle and kind to one another. We need to be Christ's light now, that light that gives life, gives hope to the community around us, even if we are ourselves fearful. Because we have hope and the promise of life in all its fullness now, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So through us, Jesus is the light of the world. Through us, God is in the world. We can each be God's light, shining in a time that might be feeling a bit dark. Twenty months later, I say those words to myself and repeat them to you. The times when I get fearful, despairing and frustrated. Twenty months later, when this virus has morphed into a form that is less easy to live with, when lockdown frustrations have us getting angry with each other, with government decisions. But even then, you and I are called by God to be light, to pray, to love. Maybe to say firmly, okay, this is not how to behave, how to protest, but I get how you're feeling. We are called to not be selfish to consider others, to love our neighbour, and we are called to actively endure, persevere and care. So this week, again, I challenge you to think about what it might mean to do this. Last week at Wadestown Presbyterian, we had um, a mission workshop with the Mission Catalyst for Presbytery, Reverend Stuart Simpson. And one of our members challenged us with this question, what are we going to do to get ready to help the community around us when Delta arrives? So, WPC members are holding a cook-in the first day of February and Saturday in December to re the refill the church freezer with ready-to-eat heat, eat, eat, heat and eat meals. So what can you do as a parish, Johnsonville? What organisations, if you look on the back of this, you'll see some, 
What organisations are you already linked into that you can work alongside, that you can perhaps approach and say, how can we help, what can we do? Hannah's story reminds us that endurance, perseverance and care are part of a faithful and faith-filled life. A life that doesn't sit passively waiting for life to happen, but moves into life, expecting God to act through us. To the question, who cares, the answer is, God cares and so must we. Life is going to continue to be topsy-turvy for a while. You may not want to hear me say that. But it is. It will never get back to pre-March 2020 normal. We will be living with a new normal. Regional and global shocks, be it war, famine, pestilence, which I suppose this counts as, or natural disasters, have always proven to be pivotal moments in humanity's life on this blue-green planet we call home. That has simply been how it is. It's our turn to experience that. But God hears our prayers, our cries of despair, just as God heard Hannah's. And not only brings the ladder against the tree we're stuck in because we can't find our way down, but says, I hear you, let's get down together. God is with us. Amen. After the 